0: Hi, so today I'm talking to Charlotte Phillips and Rugsy Lugsy. So at Rugsy Lugsy, Charlotte and her husband handcraft home and giftware from Reclaimed Woods. I really, really enjoyed this conversation with Charlotte. You're going to hear from the chat that she's got so much energy and positivity. She's so passionate about what she does. Um, I learned so much about reclaimed wood, um, wood in general actually. I'm always now going to be on the lookout for wood that Charlotte can make things out of. Um, We spoke about selling face-to-face versus selling online um, and about how Charlotte's business doesn't quite look as she thought it would at the outset and why that's not a bad thing. So hopefully that's piqued your interest um, a bit. And now I would absolutely love to introduce you to Charlotte. And as always, I really hope you enjoy this episode. So hi, Charlotte. Thanks for being here. Hello. So can we start with you giving an introduction to yourself,
1: your products and what you sell? Uh, So my name is Charlotte and my husband and I have a small business called Rugsy Lugsy, And we make and sell home and giftware from reclaimed wood
0: amazing thank you um let's start with how and why you got started with woodworking and i'm a, i apologize in advance if woodworking isn't the right way of wording
1: yeah. it oh, i don't know woodworking what it is. is the perfect terminology actually so yeah. i think But I personally have actually had two distinct careers before I came to this so when I first left school I trained to be a florist I used to do floristry and event dressing and then for the last 20 years I was actually an early years teacher um got sucked in when my son was in nursery you start out watching washing up the paint pots and end up running a department and then in January 2020 I knew I'd had enough I was done I needed to just get out, too much paperwork. too much politics. And I was looking for something different. The November before, um, I had created the Santa's Grotto Mm -hmm. for the school Christmas fair. And I decided to do a Scandinavian theme. So we made, my husband and I made loads and loads of little wooden things. We had hearts, I made little sledges out of lolly sticks, we got a chainsaw, cut down a couple of silver birch trees, made them into reindeer. And it, I mean, it was beautiful. Um, But kind of what got me thinking was when one of the parents said, what are you going to do with all this stuff? Are you going to sell it? And a little light bulb went on above my head. And that was the very start of of Rugsy Lugsy. So although Neil and I had always been very comfortable around using wood, it's, it's kind of our go-to material. So when we've sort of been given um, a couple of church pews, we turn them into our bed, um, our kitchen we've hand built out of wood. So we had this tremendous collection of odds and, odds and sods of, of, of wood. So it, for us, it was such a natural place to go when I wanted to set up a business that it didn't even require a thought process. It was just like, well, that's what we're going to do. Amazing. So is that, what, so
0: did you literally start by selling off the things that you made for the nativity?
1: Well, um, the, those things, actually, the money went to the school because it was um, you know, a PTA yeah, type event. Um, and then I, th- I think we started just messing around. So I think by the February half term, my notice had gone in and, um, Covid was just starting to, to become a, a thing. It wasn't just some obscure illness in China anymore. It was it was starting to, to be more prevalent in Europe. So we knew things were going to change and they were gonna change quite quickly. So we started developing a bit of a product base, um, a lot of hearts, so I love heart shapes so that was one of the first things we made we had some Victorian floorboards from from um, a house where Neil had replaced all the boards for them and we cut hearts and sanded them down and started messing around with paint and ribbon and buttons and things like that and then I think the second thing we made was the key houses and they are huge now they are possibly one of our Biggest, biggest products, uh, but we initially just made a key house to give a as a, a housewarming present to a friend, and then you're sort of looking at it and going, well, yeah, I could sell that, I can make that, and I can sell that. So uh, yeah, that was that was kind of how that went. Uh, by the April, I was furloughed, um, which gave us time, and um, so yeah, by September, I think we were selling amazing and that's only 18 months ago
0: isn't it really so you've yep she <laughs> loads in that time so I'm thinking to go next I'll tell you what might be good is if you can just talk us through some of your products actually because I'm just thinking Charlotte obviously I've had a really good look around your website and I'm really <laughs> familiar with what you sell but given obviously that this is all the own people may not have come across you or your website can you just
1: talk us through just a few of your products just so people can get a really good visual well, I think the first thing to explain is that all the wood that we use to make our products is reclaimed. So yes, it's... I do talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> so um, all our products have to have a signature distressed look because the wood has been used for something else before. So quite often it has nail holes and, and things like that in it. So I've mentioned the hearts and the key houses. Um, another major thing that we make is wooden bunting. So that's just if you run through the pages on our website, bunting is one of the big ones. Um, the reason why we started making that was to get away from plastic bunting, which is not really very environmentally responsible. Uh, we also are very, very seasonal. So we have bunting for Halloween, for example, or on Easter. So at the moment, our website is absolutely chock full of, of little Easter Uh, gifts and Easter decorations Um, we also make some practical things as well so we have we invented a box that um, sits in the middle of a table with jam jars in it we call it centerpiece box the idea being as I mentioned I used to be a florist lots of people are a bit nervous about how to put flowers in the middle of a table basically just takes all the mystery out of it just cut all your flowers to the same length put them in four jam jars job done Um, but you can also take jars out you can put fur cones in at Christmas you can put foil wrapped Easter eggs in for Easter so so lots of scope like that I should try to think what else we have on the website (laughs) we probably carry at any one time about three thousand pounds worth of product wow I was just about to
0: ask you that (laughs) whether you're making to order or whether you're making and then selling how does how does that work actually because um you have a massive product range so does ev- is everything on your website physically made already or are you making things okay.
1: people ask for them yes yeah, so from a purely practical point of view um if you take a new product so the idea will come to me i'll design it i'll make a prototype if the prototype works brilliant it goes into production if it doesn't you tweak it you you go again I usually start out by making five of everything, Um, mainly because I've been caught out. Um, So if you take the ho, ho, ho bunting, so it's a line of Santa hats with a little pom-pom on the bottom of each one and the middle three have wooden letters that say ho, ho, ho. Um, I made one. I fronted up to a Christmas market with one set. I sold it by half past 10 in the morning. And you're kind of then going, oh, well, That's annoying. If I'd made two, um, it would have still been on my stall looking very decorative, so never again. Everything now gets made in lots of five. The next thing we did was we linked the website to the Zettle, which is our payment device. So we track uh, stock numbers. So the minute something goes below a certain number in stock, I get an alert, um, and that actually informs me of my making list. So on a Monday morning, I sit down. My to-do list looks a little different to other people's. (laughs) Um, Mine is a making list. And so I know exactly what I need to make before going to another market. Oh, that's amazing. What a good system as well. Yeah, it really is. We do bespoke pieces. So, uh, for example, if you wanted some bunting with Vicky on it, and your favorite flowers or something like that we'll do that uh, so that has to factor into that to do list as well um, but yeah it's it's as a, as systems go it's it's really good it just make sure that you don't have that situation where you're stood at a market with someone about to buy something and then it gets sold off your website so <laughs> yes Yeah, which is a lot of makers' worst nightmare.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because I guess they're two completely different sales channels, aren't they? So you sort of need to have track of what what actual stock you have at any time. And are you making every day, Charlotte, or do you try and have like a a day just for making? How does
1: that work? Okay, so it would be really, really easy for us to make every day because Neil and I have a studio each at home. Um, So... It, you do have to be disciplined, you have to take time out, um, because otherwise you're going to get bored and you've got to get resentful, especially, you know, when times are tough. Um, actually, that's not completely fair, because sometimes actually cover your salvation. So that second lockdown, for example, the really long one this time last year, we came out of that. I must have had 40 or 50 different kinds of bunting because it was a way of getting through but you do need time to actually just just go and live as well so we took tuesday off this week it was neil's birthday we went down to hastings we walked on the beach we went out for lunch went to look at a couple of galleries you do need that time it's it's really really important
0: you do i think you definitely need time for yourself and then also i guess there's also the time that's needed for the things that isn't the making so the sending things you know sending out orders and updating social media and accounts and all those other
1: things um well i've become the queen of putting systems in place so number one we of course have jenny cooper time saver who does jenny does all of our social media um but you do have to supply her with content um because as brilliant as she is she can't actually magic pictures out of the air and we use quickbooks so it's very very beneficial i think to make sure that actually you're either making or you're spending time on you um if there's a system that you can use that actually stops you having to spend hours pouring over books or Finding hashtags or whatever else, I'm a great believer in using it. <laughs> yeah, that
0: makes sense. I'm I'm with you in terms of freeing up time and also in sort of in systemizing things as well. So you would have known when you booked this podcast, for example, there's only two days a week that I actually record podcast yeah. interviews because as much as I absolutely love it, it's one of my favourite things. Practically, it just doesn't make sense to do it five days a week because then you're not doing the other things. And I find having set days of okay on Wednesdays I do this on Tuesdays I do that I think just really it, ha- it helps me anyway though. obviously that isn't going to be for everyone but yeah I like systems and processes and yeah and anything that makes that saves time and
1: makes your life easier and frees up time as you've said mm-hmm. it's just ideal and from a selling point of view it's astounding how many of these things actually link together as well so you know if you you can link like I say, our shop, our website is powered by Shopify. Shopify and Zettel actually will link at the touch of a button. Um, so it's it, it just saves you so much time, so much angst.
0: Definitely, and I don't know whether you experience the same, but I found initially when I was setting up my first Shopify website, for example setting up all the automation so i use paypal so setting up sort of the paypal automations and all of this was a bit of a headache i'm not gonna lie but as soon (laughs) as it's done you can just breathe a nice sigh of relief because it's all everything then works seamlessly so i think it's worth so for anyone who's thinking oh gosh that sounds like a nightmare even if you have to get help i think it's definitely worth getting any automations and systems in place even if you need to find someone to help you do that because it will just make your life so much easier going yeah
1: I mean I am I I must admit this is where we did employ Jenny um, to set up the website and put all of those processes in place because if you're a maker you have to value your time so I have a price per hour that to me my time is worth if I am then spending countless hours trying to work something out that isn't my forte I mean I'm good at a lot of things technology is not one of them so all that time that I've spent doing that I'm not actually doing things that I am good at that I do enjoy and that do ultimately make me money so I would strongly recommend go out there and find good people to do these things for you because they're doing it all the time and much faster than than you are at doing it they'll tell you up front also how much they'll charge you so you can make an informed decision Um, it's a small army of people out there to support small business and I really recommend utilizing them absolutely I really
0: agree and even if you feel you can't afford to pay someone like an ongoing basis even if it is just for a small job like you know I can't work out how to connect Shopify to Zettel there'll be someone that you can pay and probably not much money either because for them it's probably a 10 minute job there'll be someone you can pay a smaller amount of money who will just do that for you yeah and yeah I agree that as you we were talking about earlier we all have different expertise and um Sometimes it can seem, I mean, I, I definitely, when I started my business, I definitely had the mindset at the beginning that I couldn't afford to pay for anything and I had to do it all myself. But then when you start looking at what your time's worth and you realize that you've just spent three hours on something, when you could have been doing something that actually made you money, that's when you start to think, Oh, I could have paid 15 pounds and got that sorted rather than spending three hours of my time, which is presumably worth more than that. So yeah, I think it's definitely a mindset thing. Hmm. Very much so. (laughs) So, Charlotte, you were mentioning um, markets earlier, and I'd love to come back to that if it's okay. So can you talk a little bit about the part that's of going to markets to sell your product, has changed your business, um, whether that changed at all during the pandemic and how you see things going forward?
1: Yeah, sure. So when um, so I I said, you know, Rugsy Lugsy kind of arrived as a fully formed idea and initially, Neil and I, are we're a bit older. Our children have left home. We don't have that sort of level of dependency from anyone now. So we had this great idea. We were gonna go around the country, maybe convert a horse box or something, you know, typically sort of, um, um, I was gonna say like the George Clark, amazing spaces kind of things that you see. Um, and we were gonna move from craft to craft And then of course the pandemic hit so suddenly that idea had to be replaced with something more local and i phoned around literally started emailing and phoning uh we were really lucky we um met uh someone who recommended the pantiles market so we're based in tunbridge wells the pantiles is the historic part of tunbridge wells they have this market going on i spoke to the market manager and he's really liked the idea of what we were doing and uh, and gave us a slot actually with 48 hours notice wow yeah so that's good I did not have time to overthink it (laughs) so so the markets became our lifeline um, because it was our method of selling so by that point I had left my job remember I'd handed in my notice so it it became my source of income. Um, uh, So the Pantiles has has just been brilliant for us. We've then added others uh, as we do a couple of smaller farmers markets as well. What works really well for us is our product is quite unique. There are not a lot of people out there making things with wood and then painting it in the way that we do. We have two very different sides to our product line. So Neil makes beautiful key houses, hand-painted backdrops. Uh, so he's got sort of real beautiful clouds and skies and cliffs and things like that. I'm more cute and whimsical. So trying to explain that is incredibly difficult. <laughs> when someone's actually stood there in front of you and looking at it, it becomes much, much easier. From that we also grew our social media presence so having the qr code on the market stall and saying to people you know if you like what you're seeing in front of you can you follow us on instagram and that's also meant that our instagram following and our facebook following have been more relevant um so it's all very well and good having like a billion followers but if they're not actually going to shop from you it's 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 not really that helpful so we know that all our followers are people that have seen our products and are following us because they really like what we do and that they will buy from us. That makes sense.
0: That does. And that is such a great idea. I never thought about that. I don't even know how to get a QR code, but that's amazing. And I I think as well, there's a lot to be said, isn't there, for meeting your customers in person and being able to talk to them and for them being able to tell you what they like or what they might like to see different you know what I mean
1: and for us also to explain the the nature of of the raw material as well so you know we greet any new person in exactly the same way have you been to our stall before let me explain everything on it we've made ourselves and it's all made from reclaimed wood and you watch their level of interest go from sort of oh yeah okay pretty things to oh okay now that's interesting yeah okay tell me more and then we can expand on where you might have found the wood so at the moment we've got these little chunky boats that we make the masts on them are actually the little things that you twist to open venetian blinds so we were given an entire set of oak venetian blinds what do you do with the little things that are on the end? Well, you turn them into boat masts. <laughs> so it's um, being able to explain that in person um, is is really important. Yeah, that is really nice. And as, I guess because all of your products will be made, all of
0: your products are unique, aren't they? Because even if you're yeah. selling lots of hearts, for example, some might become from an old, I don't know, a bench, and some might be from something else. In fact, um, yeah, talk me through a bit because I would – I'm genuinely would love to know Charlotte where do you get reclaimed
1: wood so how do you find it and what kind of things do you use so first of all we were really lucky Neil is a chronic hoarder um so we actually had a lot of bits of wood that were too useful to throw out so um for example you know my my mum was a church warden uh Neil went and helped fix a roof on a church Uh, they couldn't actually pay him but they were getting rid of the church pews and they decided to go for more comfortable seating so we didn't even get the church pews what we were given was the two things that stand at the very very front that are basically just there for you to put your hymn book on and your glasses and whatever so we were given those um yeah (laughs) I kid you not I had an entire set of Victorian floorboards where Neil had actually gone into someone's house and replaced them all and they were all sitting on my allotment um just too useful to throw away could come in handy for something and so when I started saying about wanting to make things that was our first um supply of material raw material nowadays I have a few key people look out for bits and pieces for me. So I have a couple of roofers and builders. Roofers are particularly useful. So like I get all the Victorian roofing slates that can't be reused and we actually use those to roof the houses in our key houses. So if you've got um, one of our key houses it's got a slate roof that's actually a Victorian roofing slate. If you've got one of our light houses that's the thing that actually makes the lighthouse is an offcut of when you get a lead roof, you know, it's got rolls in it. Um, that's an offcut of the things that they actually form the lead over to make those rolls. It hasn't actually ever been used in that case because no one wants something that's been contaminated with lead. Um, I have a couple of landscape gardeners who look out for interesting, nice weathered old fences for me. Um, gosh, yeah, it just, and people people when they hear about what we're going what we're doing come forward and go well I've got this would you be interested in this we use a lot of free cycle um, and I skip dive uh, with permission so skip diving is amazing um, one of my favorites was if you're a local in Tunbridge Wells you might know the Baptist Church at the very top of Upper Grosvenor Road and during the last couple of years, they've taken down the tiny steeple that was on top of it, apparently it had always leaked. We were walking past and stopped and chatted to the builders because they, they chucked it all in the skip. And it was beautiful. Um, it had been handcrafted into this beautiful spire, um, but where it had leaked, the, the wood was damaged. Um, so we said, oh, can we have that? And this guy looked at us, so it went, yeah, but it's it's not good, you know. No, 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 that's going to be absolutely perfect for us. And it made cliffs in our, um, so we did a harbour scenes for our key houses. It made the most beautiful cliffs. Then we turned it round and found on the back, someone had actually written March 1938 on it. You've got all that history it's just amazing sorry I'm off on a tangent now
0: <laughs> no you're not and it's like I'm loving hearing all this and you know
1: I'm um, as
0: we're talking I'm thinking oh gosh I don't live that far from you you know that I'm going to be contacting you know Charlotte and saying I've seen some word because <laughs> that I'm happens just, a lot um, so inspired by what you're saying I just think it's amazing that you're taking things that people don't want and need anymore and then making something beautiful out of it that's like magic it's well you've got to
1: think as well I mean that person that built that spire in March 1938 you've got to kind of think well what happened to that person because of course the following year um we had a war um and that that was the mark that they left and no one knows what's happened to them because there was no name so I kind of feel we're honouring them by yeah. using it, making it into something that's, well, basically not in a skip. Um, and also, I mean, on, on that point, Neil and I both grew up around uh, heavily wooded and treed areas. I mean, Neil actually grew up in the middle of Bedgebury. Um, So we both have a great love of trees. And for us, the amount of wood that actually ends up in landfill, or gets just gets burned is horrendous I mean I, I can give you a whole lot of statistics about the amount of wood in this country that is not recycled it's actually quite difficult to recycle wood um, so that idea of giving it a second chance making it into something new and the great thing about wood is it has no environmental impact so you're not Making something out of plastic, for example, that could end up in the ocean. You could drop a rugsy, lugsy product into the ocean. It won't do any damage to anything. Um, I wouldn't recommend it, but but you could. So for us, it's having that minimal impact on the environment around us. Using a product that's already in existence rather than having to go and find a virgin material. So it's just something we are really, really
0: passionate about. I can tell and I think it makes so much sense So, when you were talking about the trees I was thinking that obviously we've had some pretty big storms here in Kent recently and when I go on my dog walks very often now I'm seeing trees that have toppled over maybe trees that have been chopped up into pieces you know maybe the council have chopped them up to take them away and I'm now I'm listening to you I'm thinking what's going to happen to those trees do they end up going in an incinerator or yeah I'm, I'm A asking of myself that now.
1: Yeah, a couple of things can happen. So quite often if a tree falls and it's safe to do so, it will nowadays be left um, and then an entire little um, colony of insects um, will move in and do what nature needs to do, which is the very best thing that can happen. Um, If it's been cleared away, a lot of councils, to be fair to them, will find a way of reusing it. So it gets chipped and put onto flower beds in in sort of council parks and things like that. So there is that virgin wood. It's the easiest to actually recycle, to do something with. What's more concerning is um, the humble pallet, for example. Um, quite often a pallet can be made out of a wood that's been sourced from where it was needed. So if we take Indian patio stone, for example, the wood that quite often is is made into the crate or the pallet that will carry it over from India is rainforest. And at that point, that's devastating, especially at the rate that they're coming over. So we know a stonemason who was burning 50 crates a week um and that is horrendous for the environment on so many levels so many levels so I suppose
0: sorry I was saying I suppose as well what also gets hard is once once wood has been used for something whether it's as a bench or as a bed or as a pallet presumably it then also gets harder to recycle so I'm thinking that I'm sure most councils if they end up with a wooden bed frame in the tip for example I don't think that would be recycled would it or would it
1: if it's still fairly virgin, so a pallet, for example, yeah, it's really easy to recycle it. Unfortunately, what it gets recycled into isn't too glorious. Um, so it's the kind of board that you see when they board up a shop, for example. Oh, okay. Or at least MD- it does get reused. It does get reused. Or MDF. Um, so everybody's a medium density fibre board that's used in a lot of uh, furniture. That is quite often made out of uh, a recycled wood product. So... That's quite good. Sometimes it can be shredded down and used as packaging material. So all, all good. What's harder is, unfortunately, in this country before 1990, when we painted things, we couldn't guarantee that paint didn't have lead in it. So that's a little bit sort of difficult to to process. And a lot of wood that's used outside so your bench, for example, or your decking has been tunnelized. Um, which means it's been treated to stop it being eaten by insects uh, so it's poisonous so again that's I mean I, I I will check it out but they used to use arsenic to tonalize wood oh. yeah but I'm assuming you could do something with that
0: word could you, or could you um, not?
1: I, I try not to because I don't want to breathe it in so
0: oh, that's the, a good point because I suppose as soon as you start cutting yeah I didn't think I didn't think about that as soon as you start cutting it and I suppose that's the same with anything with potentially with lead, lead paint. paint on yeah I didn't think about that we're so lucky aren't we now that we don't have to think about it. you know what I mean but we yeah I think I'm of a generation where I don't think as much about things like lead paint for example because in we, we don't use it anymore I, yeah I've not never, a good idea never used it <laughs> um you almost forget sometimes that these you know you forget yeah. sometimes how things were diff- different until, we, although recently, actually, I found lots of um. I'm trying to think what asbestos in the back of the garden. That was fun. Gosh,
1: yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, that was the wonder product of the 1960s and 70s, I think. So <laughs> yeah, we're slowly eradicating that. But this is what I mean um, about trying to make a product that doesn't impact on the environment. So the paint that we use, for example, is uh, it's got a low VOC, so it's volatile organic compound. So it gets into your waterway, it, it won't cause damage to aquatic life. So it's, it's having that sense of responsibility that it's not enough to just want to use a recycled product, but making sure that what you do to it has low impact as well. So it's, uh, yes, yeah, a lot of research.
0: It is. And I guess it all ties back to what we were talking about before we started recording, actually, we have a little chat about, you know, selling online versus selling face-to-face. And I can definitely see um, that for your business, selling face-to-face has. well, I mean, for lots of us selling face-to-face, has lots of benefits, but the fact you could actually say to somebody, this product is made from this, this product is made from that, and it's got that story behind it. I think that's a lot harder to convey online than it is when you're having a conversation with somebody.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've developed standardized lines And we will explain to people that everything looks the same, but actually it's different um, because it will depend on the use the wood has had before. So if you take our fish, for example, so we do sets of hanging fish that look great in the bathroom. When we started out making them, they were actually from Western Red Cedar from a 1920s greenhouse, I think it was. Um, And now. Yep, now I'm actually using wine crates to make those so they're going to be slightly different you're going to weigh a different amount that's that's um a big one for us so we do explain that to a certain extent on the website that everything will look slightly different but yes you're, you're you're right it's far easier in person to explain exactly what you've made it from
0: yeah it's just your product seems like they have such a story behind them that it's yeah that's always easier I think isn't it to convey in a in a conversation yeah definitely well thank you so much for everything you've shared Charlotte I have one final question if that's okay before we finish yep. up so I would love to know what would your number one piece of advice be to other product creators and sellers what's one thing you'd like people to know
1: be adaptable um as I've explained to you we started out with one idea of how we were going to run the business we had to change due to a pandemic um now I wouldn't ever wish a pandemic on anybody and hopefully current situation um <laughs> uh, regardless um no one would have to deal with something as big and potentially damaging as that when they're setting up but I think You don't know what the market is going to be like, be it online, be it selling through Amazon, be it selling actually face to face. So it's a really good idea to just be adaptable, be ready to change, to to tweak. Don't go into this with too set an idea of exactly how it's going to work, because I think you're going to set yourself up for failure if you do. So that would be my one piece of advice would be. Be adaptable. I think
0: that's brilliant advice. Thank you. Because you're right, so much changes that isn't with well, things change that are within our control, but also a lot of changes that is without what am I trying to say out of our control as well. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, who predicted Putin? <laughs> yeah, Putin, the pandemic. There's so many things, aren't there, that we just could never have predicted yeah would happen so I think that's excellent advice because I think it can be really easy to sort of start out with this mission or idea and sort of cling to it and no matter what happens you no know, I'm doing this um, yeah but being able to adapt to your right is definitely a, a skill
1: and, and you can keep your own ethics so for example as as, as you probably gathered we're very much about the recycling the making sure that that we don't have an environmental impact that's that's too negative keep those um your core values just be willing to adapt a little bit on the way that you sell that's amazing
0: thank you and thank you so much for everything you've shared charlotte so i will put in the links to your website and your social media in the show notes everyone can find it and yeah thank you again for your time
1: well thank you It's, it's actually been really fun good i'm really pleased
0: Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end of this episode. If you enjoyed it, please do leave me a review. That really helps other people to find this podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and do tell your friends about it too if you think that they also might enjoy it. You can find me at vickyweinberg.com. There you'll find links to all of my social channels. You'll find lots more information, all of the past podcast episodes and lots of free resources too. So again, that's vickyweinberg.com. Take care, have a good week and see you